0: Welcome back to episode nine of the Health Investment Podcast. As you know, I'm all about sharing simple behavior and mindset shifts that'll help you sustain a healthy lifestyle. Well, one of the simple behaviors really leveled up my health has been consistently flipping packages over and dissecting their labels. When I say labels, I mean the nutrition facts and ingredients. Seems like it should be easy to do, right? I mean, There are thousands of ingredients out there and dozens of different terms in that little black and white nutrition facts box, but what actually matters and what can you ignore? Today, I'm going to clear it up for you, and I'm also going to teach you a fun acronym to remind yourself how to read food labels when you're out in the wild, in the jungles of Trader Joe's and Whole Foods. Also, I want to remind you that I've created a free download to get you started. It's called the Ultimate Healthy Grocery List, 75 Simple Swaps for Your Kitchen Staples. In this free guide, you'll find all of my favorite brands of chips, crackers, chocolate, and even healthier options for cheese and wine. To download it, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash grocery I'll also put a link in the show notes for easy access. Before we dive into the nitty gritty, I want to give a shout out to Remy P89, who left a five-star Apple podcast review. This person said, simple tips to invest in health. I love Brooke's quick and simple tips to live a healthy lifestyle. She's inspired me to make quick changes in my cooking and eating that have led me to better overall health. Her episodes and tips are approachable yet informative, and I thank her for helping me find success in making healthier eating habits. Wow. Thanks, Remy RemyP89. Every review inspires me and keeps me going, so I really appreciate it. All right, now it's time to dive into the nitty-gritty. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing. You deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing. There are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm gonna share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness, because I wanna help you get healthy for good, without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one. So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in, enjoy the episode. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just trust the claims on the front of any package? You know how a bag of chips will say things like organic, non-GMO, and gluten-free on the front of the bag? Wouldn't it be nice if it was that easy? If we could just quickly glance at the front of any item to determine its caliber? Unfortunately, I have some bad news for you. The front of any package is really just smoke and mirrors companies do extensive research on which colors and buzzwords to use so that we'll buy their products. And the colors and buzzwords change over time. Companies are always redesigning their packaging so that their logos and color schemes don't become outdated. And buzzwords change too. Remember in the 80s and 90s when everything said low-fat? That's because most of us were obsessed with eating low-fat foods. So companies really capitalized on that. Now, some packages may still say low-fat, but people are more obsessed with organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, keto. You know the trends of today. But here's the thing. Something may be organic and keto and still be absolute crap. In fact, I'd say the more buzzwords there are on the front of any package, the more skeptical you should be. When you see a lot of claims on the front of an item... Ask yourself, what is this company trying to hide? And slip into label sleuthing mode. To become a label sleuth, you obviously need to learn how to read food labels. We're going to start with the ingredients label because that's where I always start. All right, so how to read food labels starting with the ingredients. I used to be an English teacher, so I just love acronyms and mnemonic devices. If you do too, you're at the right podcast. Here's a handy acronym for reading food labels, F-U-F-S-S, or FUFs. I'll explain each letter in detail in just a minute, but if you're dying to know what it stands for right now, it's fruit oils, understand, flavors, sugar, serving size. One thing I want to say really quickly is that I'm telling you how I read labels. My process is research-based, but health and nutrition research is conflicting and ever-changing, which makes it freaking confusing. This is the process I currently use to read labels, but who knows? Maybe it'll change in a few years, or maybe even a few months. If it does, don't worry. I'll release a new, updated episode on the topic. I'm always open to amending my practices in light of new research, and you should be too. So just keep that in mind. Okay. For the first F in the acronym, see whether the item contains fruit or vegetable oils. The first place my eyes always go is to the ingredients. Usually one of the first ingredients is some type of oil. Quick side note, did you know the ingredients are listed in order of their quantity? So the first ingredients make up a higher quantity of any product than the last ones. There's a fun party fact for you. The F in the acronym stands for fruit oils because I generally buy items that are made with, you guessed it, fruit oils. These fruit oils are olive oil, coconut oil, avocado oil, and palm oil. Another quick side note, sometimes there are ethical issues with the way palm fruit is harvested, like in terms of deforestation practices. So often a package will say ethically sourced palm oil, which is great. That's something you can also keep an eye out for. I'd say about 97% of items in any regular old supermarket are not made with fruit oils. They're made with vegetable oils. So yeah, that means I typically don't buy 90 plus percent of the items that are packaged in most grocery stores. Here's why. Vegetable oil is a deceiving term because these oils aren't actually made from vegetables at all. They're made from seeds. So a synonym of vegetable oil is refined seed oil, or just seed oil. Throughout this episode, I'll be using those terms interchangeably. Just know they all mean the same thing. Common seed oils are canola oil, which is also known as rape seed oil, organic canola oil, Don't be fooled by the organic label, corn oil, peanut oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, cottonseed oil, grapeseed oil, soybean oil, sesame oil, and rice bran oil. Again, those are the common ones. It gets confusing because you may see the word grapeseed and think, grapes are a fruit, so this must be a fruit oil. But seed is also in the word. Grape seed oil in fact is not a fruit oil. It's a seed oil. Also, when you see peanut oil, you may think peanuts yum, this has to be good. But most peanut oil has been refined, bleached and deodorized just like all of the other seed oils. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but first, this is why I prioritize fruit oils over vegetable/seed oils. Possibly, you've heard that vegetable oils are healthy because they're low in saturated fat. Addressing this, University Health News published an article, which I'll link in the show notes, stating, Is the American Heart Association wrong about their recommendation to avoid foods high in cholesterol and to replace saturated fats, like those found in animal foods, with polyunsaturated fats, like those found in vegetable oils? A growing number of experts think so, including a 98-year-old researcher from the University of Illinois who argues that the main cause of heart disease is not dietary cholesterol, but rather oxidized cholesterol and fats, especially from too many polyunsaturated vegetable oils and fried foods. The 98-year-old researcher I just mentioned was Dr. Fred Kummerow he spent his life championing the anti-trans fat cause. In his own research publication, Kummerow wrote, We have switched from the consumption of saturated fats to polyunsaturated fats, which are now in almost everything that is consumed. Vegetable oils, partially hydrogenated fats, and fried foods are responsible for the persistently high rate of heart disease the most effective way to prevent coronary heart disease and sudden death, according to these conclusions, is to eat fewer commercially fried foods, fewer polyunsaturated fats, and to avoid partially hydrogenated fats. Kumaro's point is one worth repeating. Our high consumption of polyunsaturated fats, like vegetable oils, seems to be way more problematic than our consumption of saturated fats. So that's one reason to avoid vegetable oils. Further, a Healthline.com article sums up the downsides of vegetable oils nicely. Remember, I always link the research and articles I mention in the show notes, so you can find this one there as well. Here are the key takeaways. Vegetable oils contain large amounts of omega-6 polyunsaturated fatty acids, which are harmful in excess. In the evolutionary scheme of things, humans haven't been exposed to vegetable oils very long. Until recently, we didn't have the technology to process them. That means the majority of our ancestors were not exposed to these highly processed oils, and they were healthier because of it. The next point the article makes is that excessive consumption of vegetable oils leads to actual structural changes within our fat stores and cell membranes, which can accelerate the aging process, among other things. Also, vegetable oils contribute to systemic and chronic inflammation. Systemic and chronic inflammation lead to diseases such as cardiovascular disease, arthritis, depression, and even cancer. Finally, some vegetable oils contain massive amounts of trans fat, a.k.a. the super dangerous fat. I've always known that canola oil, like other vegetable oils, is highly processed, but I didn't realize just how processed it is until I watched a video about its refining process on YouTube. You'll find a link to this YouTube video in the show notes. If you watch it, prepare to be super grossed out. Also, if you watch it, ignore the outdated statement at the beginning that canola oil is one of the healthiest cooking oils because it has the lowest level of saturated fat. And also ignore the implication that it lowers cholesterol. A few years back, the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee announced its updated view that cholesterol is not considered a nutrient of concern for overconsumption. That's right the cholesterol you are taught to fear is no longer a nutrient of concern. So bring on the egg yolks. Back to the refining process. In order to extract oil from canola plant seeds, producers must undergo a number of rigorous factory processes. I'm not going to go through every step right now, but just know that the seeds are bleached and deodorized in the process. To bleach and deodorize the seeds, producers use chemicals. Contrary to vegetable oils, fruit oils do not need to be bleached and deodorized. It's much easier to extract oil from fruit, which again is why I stick to fruit oils. Fruit oil producers use zero chemicals and solvents in the extraction process. Now, All of this being said, I'm not psychotic about not consuming vegetable oils. Maybe I should be, I don't know, but I'm not. Most restaurants use these oils in everything because they're cheap. And as I mentioned earlier, I'd say 97% of the items in your average grocery store are made with the aforementioned crappy vegetable oils. So most of the time I buy brands and products in my ultimate healthy grocery list freebie. But sometimes I eat vegetable oils because they're ubiquitous. And I don't really worry about it when I do because it's so rare. As you know, I'm always thinking about what I do and consume most of the time because it's what you do most of the time that really matters. But since we're talking about how to read food labels in order to buy the healthiest items, just know that fruit oils, olive, avocado, coconut, and ethically sourced palm oil Are your friends? All right. Next up, the U in my F U F S S acronym. The U stands for understand. When I read the ingredients label, I ask myself, Do I understand what this ingredient is without Googling it? If the answer is no, then I generally don't buy it. There are so many dyes, preservatives, binding agents, etc., in most processed foods. Because with newer advancements in technology, big food companies have been able to extend the shelf life of their products by a lot. It may seem cool that something won't expire for two years, but is that really a good thing? Ask yourself, what kinds of preservatives is this company using to make this item so incredibly shelf-stable? The fact of the matter is that most packaged items are not just processed, they're ultra-processed monosodium glutamate or MSG, artificial food coloring, sodium nitrite, guar gum, carrageenan or carrageenan, I don't even know how to say that, sodium benzoate. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Like I said, if I don't understand what an ingredient is, I usually don't buy it. Because the way I look at it is this. If I don't understand what something is, my body probably won't understand how to process it. Take the gums, for example. There's guar gum, xanthan gum, acacia gum, tara gum, gelon gum, locust bean gum. It's grossing me out just listing these. What are they? And did I even pronounce them right? I have no idea. Numerous studies, mostly done on animals, have shown that regular consumption of these gums can cause gastrointestinal side effects such as abdominal gas, bloating, and loose stools. If you're thinking... Well, I'm in the clear because I don't regularly consume these gums. You may need to think again. Almost every single packaged item on supermarket shelves contains one of these gums. There are literally hundreds of different ingredients in processed foods that I don't understand. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this part because, again, my rule of thumb is that if I don't understand the ingredients, I try to find an alternative that has cleaner ingredients that I do understand. So there's really no point in me looking into every single additive out there. I just stick to the non-Google necessary ones. Moving on to the second F in my How to Read Food Labels acronym, the second F stands for flavors. Most package items contain some type of artificial or natural flavoring. Possibly you're used to avoiding artificial flavors. But did you know that natural flavors are essentially the same thing? Several food additives, many of which are lumped into the natural flavors category, are deemed generally recognized as safe or grass by the FDA. As the Environmental Working Group explains, grass additives are presumed to be safe in food and are not required to undergo pre-market review and approval but there are enormous loopholes that allow additives of questionable safety to be listed as grass. Manufacturers can decide whether these compounds are safe without any oversight by the Food and Drug Administration, and in some cases obtain grass status without telling the FDA at all. For example, the FDA considers the preservative butylated hydroxyanisole definitely botched that one but it's known as BHA to be a grass additive even though the national toxicology program classifies it as reasonably anticipated to be a human carcinogen and the international cancer agency categorizes it as a possible human carcinogen that was a lot but here's the main takeaway Many natural flavors are deemed generally recognized as safe by the FDA. But that doesn't mean much, since the FDA considers some preservatives to be safe when national and international toxicology agencies classify these same preservatives as unsafe. In an NPR article, which I'll link in the show notes, Charles Platkin, director of the New York City Food Policy Center at Hunter College, explains that many companies use the term natural flavors instead of artificial flavors because these companies and products have health halos, meaning they want to be seen as healthy alternatives to more conventional items. He goes on to explain that consumers may believe products with natural flavors are healthier, though they're nutritionally no different from those with artificial flavors. Often, artificial and natural flavors aren't listed until the end of an ingredients list, meaning there's very little flavoring in the product. Before writing up this script, one of my conscientious Instagram followers asked, can you explain the issue with natural flavors? If it's a tiny percentage, what's the risk? Honestly, I don't have a great black and white answer for that because every grouping of natural flavors is different. And we, as consumers, don't know what's actually going into any natural flavor combo. Companies are not required to be completely transparent when it comes to flavoring their products, which is something else Platkin addresses in the NPR article. He suggests consumers lobby their congressional representatives to get more transparent labeling on packaging that describes exactly what the natural or artificial flavors are. So, consumers are not hoodwinked into buying one product over another because of quote unquote natural flavors. Again, I'm sorry I can't give you a straightforward yes or no answer to your question because it's a gray area. All I can say is that I personally avoid both artificial and natural flavors most of the time, but I'm not militant about it. For example, many flavored seltzer waters contain natural flavors. I'll drink those from time to time, but often I'll just buy unflavored salts or water and add a wedge of fresh citrus to flavor it myself. So the bottom line is there are definitely natural and artificial flavor-free items out there. You've just got to find them. Real quick, I want to take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered thrivemarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything, delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Okay, now for the first S in F-U-F-S-S, or FUFS, or FOOFS, I guess you could say as well. I'll let you decide. The S stands for sugar. This is a tricky one because there are upwards of 56 secret sugars in packaged foods. I'll link a great article in the show notes on sneaky sugars in foods. The basic non-sneaky sugars end in O-S-E. So dextrose, fructose, galactose, glucose, lactose, maltose, and sucrose. And then there are granulated and liquid sugars like cane sugar, coconut sugar, brown sugar, agave nectar, corn syrup. There are tons of those. But ever since consumers have been more mindful of their sugar consumption, big food companies have gotten smarter. Remember, big food is not looking out for our best, healthiest interests. Big food wants to sell products and make money. So take dextrin and maltodextrin. Those are both also types of sugar, but the average consumer may not know that when reading the ingredients because they don't end in OSE and they don't sound like they're sugars. So beware. Usually, I steer clear of items that have been sweetened with some type of refined or artificial sugar. I like to buy things that are sweetened with a natural source of sugar, like dates, honey, or maple syrup. Research suggests that stevia, xylitol, and erythritol may be okay to consume every now and then, but I'm not a huge fan of how they taste. That's just my personal preference, though. Eventually, I'm going to do an entire episode on the different types of sugar, so I'll talk more about those then. Immediately after scanning the ingredients for sugar, I jump up to the nutrition facts. So let's talk about those now. Once I see that an item contains sugar... My eyes go up to the sugar content and the serving size. Serving size is the final S in my F-U-F-S-S acronym. Serving size goes hand in hand with sugar in my food label reading process. First, I look at the total grams of sugar. Then I look at the serving size. Generally, I buy items that have fewer than 5 to 10 grams of sugar in the entire thing. But this is where companies really try to trick you. The nutrition facts may say eight grams of sugar in the total sugars category, but then when you look at the serving size, you'll realize there are three servings. So total sugars doesn't really mean total sugar in the entire thing, because the item doesn't have eight grams of sugar. If you were to eat the entire thing, you'd eat 24 grams of sugar total. After looking at total sugars, I look at the added sugars category. If the item has any added sugars, I jump back to the ingredients and really take a closer look. It likely contains some type of artificial sugar that I missed, so I usually don't buy it. Another conscientious Instagram follower asked, does the carb count matter if the sugar content is low? I honestly don't worry about this. Once I get into more complex math, like comparing the grams of carbs to the grams of sugar, it all becomes too complicated for me. I like to keep my food label reading as simple as possible, so I mostly worry about what is in the processed item, so the ingredients, and then how much sugar is in the entire thing, since high sugar consumption has been linked to type 2 diabetes, heart disease, autoimmune disorders, some types of cancer, and more. I mentioned that I like my processed foods to be made with natural sources of sugar, like maple syrup and dates, but those still aren't a free ride all sugar, even sugar from fruit, adds up. So just be mindful of that. At this point, you may be thinking, what about sodium and carbs and the fat content? I honestly don't really look at or worry about those numbers. If you go through the FUFSS process I just described, like I said, you'll probably eliminate upwards of 90% of the processed foods currently lining supermarket shelves. So I'm not willing to add S, C, and F for sodium, carbs, and fat to that already pretty extensive acronym because it would make the process even more restrictive and more confusing, for me at least. From my personal experience, if I eat real, whole, unprocessed foods 80-90% to of the time, I feel just fine when I eat processed foods that meet my FUFSS criteria. But if you're in the habit of doing the reverse, eating a diet of 80 to 90% processed foods and only 10 to 20% real, whole, unprocessed foods, then that's definitely something you want to work on changing. Doctors and research scientists may not always agree on every health and nutrition concept, but one thing everyone seems to agree on is that we should be eating more real, whole, unprocessed foods that don't come with labels at all and fewer processed foods. So again, I use my acronym to vet the processed foods I eat, but I only eat processed foods about 10 to 20% of the time. Some final thoughts. One point about sodium. Dr. James Nicoli Antonio, cardiovascular research scientist, doctor of pharmacy, and author or co-author of approximately 200 publications in the medical literature also wrote a fascinating book called The Salt Fix. In one of his research articles, I'll link it in the show notes, Dr. Antonio writes, while the potential benefits of sodium reduction strategies are debatable, one fact about which there is little debate is that the predominant sources of sodium in the diet are industrially processed foods. Processed foods also happen to be generally high in added sugars. The consumption of which might be more strongly and directly associated with hypertension and cardiometabolic risk. It is time for guideline committees to shift focus away from salt and focus greater attention to the likely more consequential food additive, sugar. A reduction in the intake of added sugars, particularly fructose, and specifically in the quantities and context of industrially manufactured consumables would not only help curb hypertension rates, but might also help address broader problems related to cardiometabolic disease. So just as our beliefs about low-fat and low-calorie foods have been challenged in light of new research, Dr. Antonio is challenging our preconceived notions about sodium. Possibly sodium is not as bad as we once thought, and actually sugar is to blame. Another point I haven't mentioned yet, I generally buy processed foods that are free from refined sugar, as I said, but also free from refined grains. Both refined sugar and refined grains are nutrient-poor, and both wreak havoc on hormones like insulin and ghrelin. So instead of buying crackers made with flour, I buy Mary's Gone crackers, which are made with seeds. Instead of buying white or wheat bread, I'll buy paleo bread sometimes at a local farmer's market or specialty store because it's usually refined grain-free. But it's also very expensive, so I buy it rarely. I never buy regular old bread to keep at home, and honestly, I don't miss it anymore. When I'm out at a restaurant, sure, maybe I'll have bread sometimes, but I just don't like to keep it around most of the time. And now my final thought... You may have noticed throughout this episode that I said generally, usually, sometimes, and other similar qualifiers quite often. That's because I don't want you to think I follow the F-U-F-S-S acronym all of the time. I don't show up at parties with my own crackers and chips. And when I'm hosting a party myself, I'll probably stray from the acronym. One huge component to sustaining a healthy lifestyle is getting into the right mindset. You can't let perfect be the enemy of good. If you try to eat perfectly all of the time, it may work for a bit, but it's probably not going to work long term. Like I said, I buy seltzer waters that have natural flavors. And we buy this jalapeno artichoke dip from Costco sometimes that does not meet most of the FUFSS criteria, but it's freaking delicious. The point I'm trying to make is that perfection should never be your goal. A sustainable, healthy lifestyle should be your goal. Anything too complicated or restrictive is not sustainable, which is why I aim for simple and good over perfect. All right, that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear your thoughts if you wanna shoot me a quick email, Brooke at thehealthinvestment.com, or DM me on Instagram. You can find me at thehealthinvestment. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs.